Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, and welcome to our online service. Now, if you don't know me, my name is Cal, and I have the privilege of serving on the staff team here at Ebenezer. And happy Father's Day. To the dads with us, I trust that you are made to feel special, and for each of us, I hope that you also celebrate your father today as well. Now, even if your father is no longer with you, I pray that this day will bring fond memories of your dad. Well, today, stage two of Saskatchewan's reopening plan begins. And if all go, goes well, well, many of the restrictions we have been facing will be lifted in a few more weeks, including masking and gathering size limits. Hopefully, well, maybe prayerfully, things go well. Over this past year, I've been reminded of how much we, as God's church, need each other. Many of you have experienced the same thing, and you're eager to meet with others and continue to build true fellowship and community with others, especially in the Ebenezer family. However, I also know that there are some have who have gotten used to not gathering together regularly, be that on a Sunday morning or some other time, and have been more disengaged with others and with us as a church family. Even though we're heading into the summer season when many of us take time off, we head to the lake and so on, can I challenge you to take some small steps so as to intentionally reconnect with those that you haven't been connected with for over a year? Invite someone over for a backyard barbecue or a coffee, or even to spend a day with you at the lake. Let's all make this summer a summer of re-engagement so that we are truly reconnected as we head into the fall. Now this morning, we're going to conclude our series in Peter's first letter, a series that we've titled Chosen. Remember, Peter was writing to Christ followers scattered throughout Asia Minor because of persecution, and now they were also under persecution. These were some of the most difficult times to be a Christian. Everything around them was against them. And I'm sure that there were times when everything within them simply wanted to just throw in the towel. If I could sum up the contents of Peter's message to these believers in one phrase, I think it would be this. You are chosen and chosen by God. And because you are chosen, you have hope when you suffer. Because you are chosen, you are called to live holy or different lives, different from the rest of the world around us. And because you are chosen, you have a new identity in Christ. Now, we've taken the last few months to systemically work our way through this incredibly rich and timely letter, as many of the issues and themes that Peter wrote about parallel the things that, that we're going through today. Last week, Pastor Layton guided us through the passage that, in Peter's context, focused on the character and the role and the responsibilities of elders or spiritual leaders in the church. But this passage is necessary for everyone who is in any position or any role of spiritual influence. And that actually includes most of us. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you have influence. You have spiritual influence over someone else, just as others have influence on you. Pastoral staff, board members, Ministry leaders, teachers, sponsors, parents and grandparents, brothers and sisters. You all have influence 
So we need to take the words of Peter to heart and, and to action. Now today, we'll look at the last few verses of Peter's letter, beginning at 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 5 down to verse 14. Again, because we'll be working our way through this passage, I won't read it in its entirety here. But let me start by reading what I believe is a key verse, maybe not just for this passage, but for the entire letter, which is the second half of verse 12. And here Peter says, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now, I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago, Pastor Layton mentioned that Peter writes very differently than Paul or even other New Testament authors. Where Paul tends to introduce a theme or a concept or an idea and then develop it, primarily theologically, Peter seems to, well, first, be more practical, practical and applicable. And second, he kind of just throws thoughts all around, often seemingly at random and, and unconnected. This letter is a little bit like that. And Pastor Layton said it's like he uses hashtags that we might use on social media. A thought here, a thought there, and we're not sure how or even if they're linked. Now that has made this letter a difficult one to preach. And today's concluding message is no different. It seems as though Peter is stringing together several thoughts, even random thoughts, and then he abruptly brings his letter to a close. I had a friend in Bible college, uh, my best man at my wedding actually, that was famous for abruptly ending a conversation. Often as in dorm life, a few of us would be in his room later in the evening and we'd be just chatting or laughing or having a snack together when all of a sudden he would kind of climb into bed and pull his covers up and say, hey, can you guys close the door from the outside? And, and this is what Peter's last words kind of feel like. However. I think there's a way we can kind of pull his thoughts together, both for this section, but also for the letter as a whole. And the key is found here in the second part of verse 12, which I just read for us. Now, let me read it again, but let me read it from the New Living Translation. Chapter 5, verse 12, the second half of verse 12, reads this way from the New Living Translation. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Everything from what they are going through to what God has and will provide for them is all a part of God's grace. Again, Peter says, my purpose in writing to you is to encourage you and to assure you that what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. So stand firm in this grace. You know, we've all gone through tough times and challenges and even tragedies in life. Have you ever considered them to be a part of God's grace in your life? I know many of you are going through difficulties right now, including personal health issues, the health of loved ones, financial challenges, relationship breakdowns, even internal struggles, and so on. As difficult as it might be, can you put them into the context of God's grace? You know, sometimes we define grace as the unmerited favor of God. And that is one way to understand grace. But we limit our understanding and our receptivity of God's grace to the positive things that, he, that we look for, for Him to bring in our life. Uh, salvation, to start with. A healing. Reconciliation. Or provision. However, sometimes the so-called negative experiences of life are also a form of God's grace. That's why earlier 
on in this very letter, Peter was able to say, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's why Paul was able to say, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's why James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. For those who follow Christ, when we, not if we, but when we are persecuted and when we suffer for His sake, that is also the grace of God. But God's grace extends even further, much further. God's grace is what provides us and empowers us with everything we need to live that life worthy of the call that He has given us. Even though Peter here addresses a few other closing thoughts, he actually gives us three key foundational components of the grace of God that allows us to live in a manner worthy of being called Christians in the midst of an anti-Christian world. Three foundational components of God's grace that if we stand firm in it, allow us not to only withstand the persecution and the suffering and the pressures both externally and perhaps even internally, but it actually allows us to thrive and to grow in our faith and demonstrate the glory and the presence of God to those who are around us. Now, before we get into these three components of grace, we need to quickly deal with what seems to be a bit of a loose end in verse 5a. Here in verse 5a, Peter writes this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now again, because of Peter's kind of shotgun style of writing, we could have included this as part of uh, last week's sermon, Pastor Layton's sermon last week, when he focused on spiritual elders. But I, I actually think this gives us as a transition to how Peter is going to conclude this first letter of Peter. Peter's short but succinct statement to the younger and how they should submit themselves to their elders reminds us that no matter where we are, we are somewhere in the God-ordained order and structure of, of all things. Whether that be in your family, or your workplace, your friendship, or other social spheres, or in the spiritual arena, we all have people above us, so to speak, and others who are below us, again, so to speak. And a reminder that being higher or lower in the structure doesn't mean that you are more important or less important. It's not a question or a statement of value, but it's a definition of the role. And all structures in life work best when we understand the value of every role, and we do our best to live out whatever our role might be to its fullest. Several years ago, I was listening to uh, Sports Talk Radio, and an analyst was kind of, going, uh, kind of breaking down uh, what made hockey teams successful and what made certain teams perennial winners. One significant factor for all winning teams that he noted was that every person in the organization knew and understand their role and did it the very best they could. Not just the players on the ice in terms of what position they play or what line they skated on, although that is a microcosm of, of this key factor, but throughout the entire organization. Hockey owners owned. General managers managed. Assistant managers assisted. Scouts scouted. Coaches coached. And players played. Right down to the equipment managers or the equipment people, everyone knew their role and they did it with excellence. And that made for a successful team. As long as no one was trying to fulfill someone else's role, the team was successful. You can imagine what would happen if an owner tried to be the general manager or if a coach tried to play the role of a player 
or if a player tried to play the role of a coach. It, it just wouldn't work, and there'd be no success. In fact, there'd be a, a lot of inner turmoil. You know, the, the image of the body in Scripture as a parallel to God's people or His church reminds us of this very principle. We all have different roles to play. And those who are younger, whether that be younger in age, younger in spiritual maturity, younger members of a family, or under some other form of authority, are simply called to submit to those who are elders or who are older. Peter then moves on to these three foundational components I mentioned before of God's grace. The grace Peter has been building this letter upon, and the grace that, as mentioned, if we stand firm in it, allows us to not only withstand the persecution, the suffering, and the pressures uh, that, that go on within us, but allows us to thrive and grow in our faith and demonstrate the glory and presence of God to those who are around us. First, the grace of God is His love and care that allows us to live in true humility. Let me read for us verses five, the second part of verse 5 to verse 7. Here Peter writes, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Now, Peter has spoken extensively about our need to submit, and the key to living in godly submission in all of the relationships around us, and even with those in the world, is humility. Now, humility is defined in the dictionary as a modest or low view of oneself, or freedom from pride or arrogance. Now, I would agree with the second part of that definition, being free from pride and arrogance. But I don't think biblical humility is having a low view of oneself. I think it's having the right view of oneself that is then also then free from pride or arrogance. Humility is the character of being able to see ourselves rightly as an individual to see ourselves rightly in relationship with those who are around us, but it must begin with a right view of God and a right view of who we are in God's eyes. That's why we're called to humble ourselves under God's hand and not under someone else's hand or something else. Humility begins with a right view of God and a right view of who we are in God's eyes. Now, Peter here gives us just one characteristic of God, but this one Character trait is key in our ability to be truly humble. God cares for us. God cares for us. He cares for you. And because God cares for us, because God cares for you, you and I can cast or lay or submit any and all of our anxieties, all of our cares, our worries, our stresses, our desperations, all of it, we can give it to Him. Humility means we understand that we cannot do it ourselves. And so we entrust all of ourselves to Him simply because He cares for us. The opposite of humility, of course, is pride. And it stands in stark contrast, not only to the, uh, humility, but pride also stands in contrast to God's grace. You see, pride demands that God bless us and provide for us in light of what we think we deserve. Grace however, realizes that how, God's, how, excuse me, how God deals with me is solely based on who He is and not who I am. Because often God blesses us in spite of who we are, not because of who we are. 
we all know that pride is the most detestable of sins. And yet today, perhaps more than ever, pride has insidiously crept into our hearts and into our souls. Entitlement, independence, self-sufficiency or self-reliance, attention-seeking and self-promotion are all symbols of pride. We've even actually become proud of our own humility. Talk about an oxymoron, right? I think it was F.B. Meyer, no relation to Tracy, I don't believe anyway, who said, we are proud of our humility. We're vain of our meekness and putting on the saintliest look, we wonder whether all around us are not admiring us for our lowliness. True humility, which allows us to live lives worthy of the calling of Christ, begins with a right view of God and a right view of who we are in God's eyes. And God cares for each and every one of us. See, the grace of God is His love and care that allows us to live in true humility. Second, the grace of God is His strength that allows us to live in power and in unity. Peter continues in verse 8 and 9 saying this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We need to realize that there is a significant component of the persecution of Christians when we go through persecution that is a spiritual battle. It's as much a spiritual battle as it is a physical one. And the source of this spiritual battle is Satan himself. Satan longs to tear us down. He longs for us to turn our backs on Jesus. He longs for us to be ineffective in our witness, and he longs for us to fall into sin. We must realize that this spiritual battle against Satan is real, and we must be prepared for it. Now, preparedness for the spiritual battle begins in the mind. Paul echoes this in Romans 12, and he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And, and by God's will, Paul is referring, uh, sorry, Paul is not referring to like what school you should go to or who you should marry. He's talking about living all of life under the kingship of Jesus. The mind is a powerful thing. It can be used for us in our desire to live God-honoring lives, but it can also be used against us by Satan and against the purposes and glory of God. And I would argue that one of Satan's primary tactics is to implant doubt in our minds. Doubt which leads to lies and lies that he reinforces that lead us away from God. If we go back to Adam and Eve's original sin in the Garden of Eden, we see that Satan is speaking to Eve and putting doubts in Eve's mind. Uh, you can flip there and, and read through Genesis chapter 3. Satan is extremely skilled at this. Of all the statements he made to Eve, only one of them was actually false. Only one of them was a lie. And then it was only subtly false. But it began a process of doubt, which led to lies, and then led to action. Similarly, Satan plants doubt and lies in our minds as well. And that makes us question the goodness and the love of God. It makes us question the things that are happening around us. And perhaps most powerfully, it makes us question who we are in Christ. And that's why Peter takes time to remind his audience and each of us 
who we are in Christ and why our, why our identity in Christ is so powerful and so important for us to understand and grasp. Satan plants lies in our minds about our value and about our worth. He makes us question our usefulness and then he turns us against God and those who love uh, turns us against God and those we love and those who love us. Now Satan loves division. He loves disunity and he will do whatever he can to spark and to stoke those fires. We need to be alert. We need to be of sound mind. We need to think clearly. And we need to resist him by standing firm in the faith. We need to fill our minds with the truth, the truth of God's word, the truth found in scripture, the truth of who Jesus is. And from that, understand the truth of who God is and who we are. And by doing so, we fend off Satan's attack. We bring glory and attention to God. Peter also makes mention of the fact that believers around the world go through the same thing. And that fact should also encourage us to remain strong. I won't develop this point fully, but just let me say that there's power in numbers. And the unity of believers is also a powerful weapon against the wiles of Satan. The grace of God is his strength that allows us to live in power and in unity. And finally, Peter tells us that the grace of God is his salvation that allows us to endure. Verses 10 and 11 say this, And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The God of all grace has called us into his eternal glory. Yes, we might and we likely will suffer for a little while. But something amazing, something great, something unimaginable, even unfathomable, awaits those who endure. Recognizing that this life is not the end and that there is eternal glory and reward for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and follow Him allows us then to endure whatever might happen in the present. Now Peter has discussed this, sorry, Peter has discussed this key point several times throughout his letter, so I'm not going to say a whole lot more, but the key is this. Salvation is a gift of God by His grace. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Remember that in the minds of the early believers, salvation was actually a future event, not a past one, the way we tend to view salvation. Believers in Christ looked forward to the day when their salvation would both be complete and realized. And so they lived in the present for the glory and purposes of God. Now, not as a way to earn or to even secure their salvation, but because they realize, but they but because they realize that by committing their lives to God's glory, by committing themselves to God's purposes and mission, they would receive the fullness of God's blessing when Christ returns. And it's that eternal perspective we need that Peter is speaking to. When I was playing volleyball for Briarcrest, I had a significant ankle injury in my fourth year. It was a third degree sprain. Actually, the doctors had said it would have been better if I would actually just broken my ankle. It would have healed faster. But as part of my rehab, I had to put my foot in a five-gallon pail of warm water for about two minutes. Not, not hot water, but, you know, a little bit warmer than lukewarm. I had to put my foot in a pail of warm water for about two minutes. And after two minutes, I had to switch to a pail of ice water for two minutes. And I had to do this repeatedly. 
I tell you, it was one of the most painful processes I've ever had to endure. But I did my best to do it. Confession, I wasn't always successful, didn't always hold out the way I should have. But I tried my best to do it. Why? Because I knew that if I could endure the pain of that moment, my ankle would heal faster than if I had done nothing at all. And I could be back on the court much sooner than if I had done nothing at all. And as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, His salvation, allows us to endure whatever suffering, whatever persecution we might face today, because we know that one day Jesus Himself will return, and He will call us into God's eternal glory and bring full restoration to who we are. The grace of God is His salvation that allows us then to endure. Now, Peter has a few other closing remarks and greetings that we won't get into. I know the singles who are listening might want me to talk about what it means to greet one another with a kiss of love. But let me repeat this. God's purpose in giving us these words through Peter is to encourage us and to assure us that what we are experiencing is truly a part of God's grace for us. So we all need to stand firm in this grace. God's grace is His love and care that allows us to be humble. God's grace is His strength that allows us to live in power and unity. And God's grace is His salvation that allows us to endure. You might know the lyrics of the old hymn, Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame, O oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise His name. First Peter, chosen by God. The last word, grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for Your Word because not only does it inform us of who You are, who we are, the condition of the world around us, but as we meditate on your word and allow it to work with your Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, it truly transforms us. Thank you for the opportunity to study 1 Peter together as a church family. Thank you for the timely messages that we've seen coming out of it, applicable in the situation we're facing today. And Father, even though we may be leaving this study behind, I pray that we would live lives empowered by your grace, that we do so for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.